You know, impatience is a serious failure that we all have. The people fell. And we're talking about that today as we study Exodus chapter 32. And how are we talking about it? We'll stay there and we'll find out in about three minutes. Good morning, good afternoon, good good evening. My name is Rod Embry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We take the Bible from Genesis. We go to Revelation. The whole Bible we study in one year. It's very exciting. And we're going to do that in about three minutes, about 15 minutes, about 12 minutes, 15 minutes. Corey and Ryan are coming up. Corey? Well, I'm going to be taking a look at ancient imagery and how that relates to the Ark of the Covenant. Ryan? Well, if you're an avid watcher of Bible Discovery, then my guest today will be familiar to you. All right. Very good. I think I know who you're talking <laughs> about. But anyway, that's okay. Uh, what are you doing today? Today, my segment's called, What Do We Fall Back On? Okay. So we're going to find all of that out. She's coming up in about 18 minutes time, but we're going to start by going to the Word of God. Take your Bible guide and turn to today's page. It's exciting. Exodus 32, 1 through 10. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down, for your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf, and worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 10. You know, it's amazing as we look at this, because I, I can't tell you how I feel so oftentimes that I do not hold up to what God has called me to do. I need forgiveness of the Lord every single day. You know, the bottom line is people fail. What does it mean to fail God? Some would say there's no fault in failing because failure is inevitable. We're all human. Nobody's perfect, right? To some extent, that's true. But that's incomplete thought. 
You see, God already instructed his people in the Ten Commandments, not to make idols, but to worship him alone. As we read about the golden calf, we see Aaron and the people fall, fail the Lord in a direct and a big way. Boy, was it ever. So soon after the demonstration of power of God through the parting of the Red Sea, they directly failed the Lord by disobeying him. What what in the world is this? I mean, what's interesting is that it was Aaron, the anointed priest, the one who was called to, to lead them to God and find forgiveness of sin, who led them to a place of utter moral failure because the Lord was not the golden calf. He led them to the state of sin that leads them to death, idolatry. Aaron thought, so it seems, that he was helping the people. But in doing so, he disobeyed the command of God. Big mistake. This is the failure of people who seek to be pleased. A leader may think that he's helping the congregation by giving them what they want. But instead, he's leading them into a place of selfishness, pride, and deception. And actually, spiritual death. Now, I'll talk more about this, but I I know that in the last few years, actually the last 30 years, there have been a lot of people talking about seeker-friendly this, seeker-friendly that. And I'm not going to criticize that, but I'll tell you that there are too many places that have gone too far in that direction. I mean, it's incredible. We need to understand that the Bible itself, the Word of God, needs no seeker-friendliness, if you would. It tells the truth about what's happening and what's going on. Now, I'm going to talk more about this as we continue. Take your Bible guide. If you don't have one, you can write to us or call us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com or go to BibleDiscoveryGuides.com and you can get one. It's very, very important. It takes you to the most important book of all, this book, the Bible. And you begin to read. Today we're reading Psalm or uh, Exodus 32 and listen to the scripture after we pray. Father, in Jesus' name, help us to hear you and understand what you're saying because this is really important. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen carefully to to Exodus 32. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountains, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. What? That's what the people said to him. For as for Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Incredible. Impatience is a serious failure of God's people. Impatience is a serious failure of God's people. We are driven to patience when we go through troubled times. This is a good thing. It is a good thing. You know, whenever I pray for patience, I say, oh, Lord, I have to pray for this again. Help me. I got to pray for patience. (laughs) I'll tell you, it is amazing because God does respond to those prayers. We are typically people driven by the customer. The customer's always right. But no, it's not. That's not a true statement. The customer's not always right. 
Money is not always right. We need to understand that God is trying to teach us how to be right in a world that worships money. That's very important. Well, we're learning more about patience. Let's read on. It says, and Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings, which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool. They're a crafted tool. There it is. And he made a molded calf. And then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron was responsible for breaking the second command and the people followed. Beloved, we have been given our instructions from the Bible to follow Christ. We don't follow a thing. We don't follow a belief system. We don't follow a, 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 an idea. We follow a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. The person is the Lord. That's who we follow. Jesus Christ is alive. He died, gave his life, but he rose again in the flesh. He rose again. Very important. So we need to understand that. We need to realize, and it was not the calf who led them through the Red Sea. It was God Almighty. And he was present right there in front of them, stopping Pharaoh from attacking them. It was all there. Now let's read on what happens. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before the Lord. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And then they rose up early on the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up early to play. And the Lord said to Moses, go, get down for your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. And they have made themselves a molded calf and worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and indeed it is a stiff necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that I, that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and I will make of you a great nation. Wow. God told Moses that he was going to destroy the people of Israel. Beloved, we are all destined for destruction. But let me tell you something. Christ has made a way for us to be saved. Jesus Christ has made a way for us to be saved. Praise God. Look, we need to understand that we will so easily turn away. I mean, it's easy. We need to bring ourselves back daily, every day, to the Word of God and listen to the Word, listen to the Bible, listen to what it says. We may not understand everything, but we need to seek the face of the Lord because God told us if we seek His face, He will find us. Very important. We need to understand that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts when we read the words of the Holy Spirit. 
All right, today we are going to be taking a look at the Ark of the Covenant. It's also called the Ark of the Testimony sometimes, or the Testament. But I want to take a look at it in terms of its imagery, because obviously it has images on it and designs on it, and in and of itself, it's meant to evoke things and bring things to mind to the ancient Israelite. And and you know, God wasn't working in a vacuum. The Israelites already had an established culture that was mixed with. Egyptian culture. So let's take a look at some of this ancient imagery that compares to the Ark of the Covenant. At Sinai, God gave instructions to Moses on how to build the tent tabernacle as a sacred space. Within the tabernacle, there was to be an even more sacred space, the Holy of Holies, that would contain a gold-covered box, the Ark of the Covenant. To understand what God was communicating to his people, it's necessary to look at their culture of the time, that of Egypt's new kingdom. When we do, we discover that Egypt had many parallels to the Ark. The Bible does not call the Ark of the Covenant by the same word as the Ark of Noah or the Ark Basket of Baby Moses. Instead, it uses a word that means coffer, chest, or coffin. In Egypt, a coffin wasn't just a place to inter a dead body. It acted like a substitute body for the spirit of the deceased, a place they could return to. There are Egyptian boxes that were ceremonially wrapped in a red cloth, just like the Ark was. And with the discovery of the undisturbed tomb of King Tutankhamun, a perfectly preserved Anubis chest was revealed. These chests carried the organs of the deceased in the funeral procession to the tomb. It was a wooden box covered with gold inside and out, like the Ark. It was carried by poles attached to its bottom, its lid was referred to as the mercy seat, and a statue of Anubis sat proudly on top. All features of the Ark of the Covenant, except for the idol. Rather than an idol, the Ark of the Covenant had two cherubim, angelic beings with outstretched wings that met together over the mercy seat. From between the cherubim, God's presence would meet with Israel. Protective winged creatures also created sacred space in Egypt. There are multiple examples of Egyptian winged goddesses, protectors of the divine with outstretched wings whose tips touch. So what does all of this mean? Mainly that God was using cultural imagery familiar to the Israelites to speak with them. Rather than being just another one of Egypt's gods, God was above all. Sacred, as represented by the boxes, the tabernacle structure, and the winged cherubim. Present, to speak with Israel, as represented by the mercy seat. And greater than any image, there was no idol image of God. The Ark was also a type of reliquary, a place to put sacred things. Inside the Ark at first were the tablets of the law given to Moses on Sinai. These tablets were likely flakes of stone that measured around the same size of one or two man's hands they needed to fit within the Ark. Placing them inside the Ark corresponds with the Near Eastern practice of placing a treaty at the feet of the chief god of the people. The Bible tells us that the Ark was also known as the footstool of God. These comparative studies show us that God chose to use imagery that already symbolized issues of the divine to the Israelites, but he rearranged it to reveal himself. He didn't expect them to use his language right away. Instead, he spoke to them in theirs. Now, this really is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the imagery of the Ark of the Covenant. There's there's actually quite a bit more, but I tried to hit the main points and the main basis here. But 
what I really wanted to draw out was just this idea of God's mercy in communicating with a, with a less than perfect culture. And he still does that today. I mean, with, with the inclusion of the Gentiles into the children of God, into, into the, to the family of Israel and the family of God, you know, he doesn't expect us to, to change our entire culture. And, and it, he, he meets us where we are and he speaks to us uh, in a way that we'll understand. And I, I just think that is so indicative of his mercy. And it's just sloshed all over the pages, not only of the New Testament, but of the Old Testament as well. And this is one of the examples of that. One, one of the interesting things is there are people who are convinced that they know where the ark is. And uh, they're they're just all over it, and and you know it's it's very exciting, and they're like, oh, I know where the ark is, <laughs> and with the lost ark of the covenant, you know, it was like it was in a warehouse in Washington D.C. and all of that stuff. It was very very interesting. There's many 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 theories. <laughs> very interesting. Yeah. But let's remember that the the best thing that the well the, the thing that the ark propagated was that God wanted to speak to people. God needed to talk to people. Not that he needed to, it's just that he wanted to. We needed him. This is God's word. God is speaking to us. And so we need to pay attention to that and we need to read it. So it's very important to read the Bible on a regular basis. So keep that in mind. Thank you, Corey. Mm -hmm. Right. All right. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, if you're a regular watcher of Bible Discovery TV, then my guest today will be no stranger to you. He's been on the show before, and I'm sure that he's going to be on in the future as well. I'm talking about our longtime family friend, Richard Fangrad. And Richard is the CEO of Creation Ministries International Canada and co-host of the popular TV program called Creation Magazine Live. And in this interview, I ask him how to respond to someone who says that the Bible is merely a book of fiction. Here's Richard. And so what would you say to a critic who says, well, the Bible is just it's just a book of fiction? What would you say to them? Depending on where they're coming from, I'd challenge them to, uh, to examine the, I mean, there's truckloads of books and all kinds of things that people have written in the 2,000 year history of the church to refute that sort of notion. Um, and, and just, and now there's websites. We have the internet that uh, disseminates this information wide. And so anyone, if they're really interested, because some of these skeptics, they ask these kinds of questions, they're not really looking for answers. They're just looking to vent, you know. But if they're really interested, um, I would direct them to some of these websites. I would direct them, for example, to creation.com. Uh, the Bible's full of fairy stories, and, and Noah's Ark might be one of those fairy stories. Well, there's article after article, dozens, hundreds of them, on the reality of a global flood. For just one example, global flood. Um, and it's after effects. If, if the flood really happened, it's going to leave a mark. <laughs> you, you can't have a, you know, the, there was arguments decades ago that the, the, the flood was a tranquil flood. The water just went up and the water went down. It didn't leave a mark. That's nonsense. One researcher said a worldwide tranquil flood makes about as much sense as a worldwide tranquil explosion. A flood's going to leave a mark. And scientists can go out and they can see the remains, the, the, the telltale signs of a global flood. So if, if you want, want to kind of work it backwards, if you're a Bible skeptic, you can, you can say, well, you know, this really, here's this geology and these layers of rock and this canyon and, and so on. This 
the, the best explanation for this is really scripture, not slow and gradual, you know, the fairy stories are the slow and gradual millions of years of slow processes. Those are the fairy stories. And uh, there's so much great support around us in the world for what the Bible says. So we could, we could go that route with somebody who brings up a question like that. Okay, so Richard will be back tomorrow to answer another frequently asked question, which is, if God created the universe, then who created God? But until then, remember to check out Richard's weekly show called Creation Magazine Live. You can find it on creation.com and social media platforms like YouTube. And you can even find it on our Bible Discovery Family and Friends Network. All right. Very good. In fact, I, I, I love Richard. We met him, I think, back in 2000. As I was thinking about this, 2003 or 2004. He is just an awesome guy. And uh, he's on our Bible Discovery TV network on a regular basis. I love the program. He's got a lot of people on there and just a, just a great program. I think they're, what are they in season eight now? Or something, it's, it's something up there. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, and it's, it's a very well-produced program. Yeah. It's yeah. just really, really good. It's just <laughs> excellent. Okay, Janice. I love these scientific minds, these mathematical scientific minds that are very logical and they they can take things and, and, and just go very methodically through them. My mind does not work that way by and large. And when I read this chapter uh, in 32, a lot of times we think, oh my goodness, with everything that the Israelites have seen so far, they so quickly switch to something else. But you know, if I put myself in this situation, and many of you are sitting there nodding your head, mm -hmm, Janice, I understand. You know, I become um, sometimes very emotional at things. And patience, a lot of times, is not my strong suit. I know you're saying, oh, I can't believe that about you. But it's true. I have my family here as witness sitting around me. And so that's something that I'm always working on. But when we look here at this gold calf, it says here, now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, come, make us gods that, that shall go before us because they are disappointed in Moses and they want something that they can depend upon. And um, this worship of a calf really fit well uh, for both the Egyptian and the Canaanite practices in which the calf was a symbol of strength and fertility. And so this wasn't a far stretch for them. And in, and in fact, uh, then Aaron says, well, we're gonna hold a feast to the Lord. Well, you can't have a golden calf and have a feast to the Lord. The two of them don't join together. And we know what transpires after this with what God has said and what Moses is talking about. But what I want to focus on today is so often when we come to the Lord, we have these propensities within us that don't align with how we need to be walking in our lives with God. And it's God's word that helps us come into alignment with God's word, that he helps us to bring about those changes in ourselves, whether it's something that we've grown up in our family or whether it's cultural things that we have come up against and, and we thought that that's always been the way. And then we tend to veer back when we are first, when we first come to the Lord Jesus. And maybe even after years of walking with the Lord, there are still things that, that we have to 
to learn more about God and to, to be able to give him those areas of our lives. But when we come to God, giving him these areas in our life, what is it that we fall back to when we don't think that God is moving quickly enough or we are praying for something and it feels like the ceiling is brass, that God is not hearing us or that we have an answer, but it's not the one that we wanted. What is it that we fall back to? We need to really be able to define that in ourselves, not, not be looking at other people and saying, oh, well, you should be, you should be, you should be, but actually taking that time to meditate with God and with ourselves, being very honest about those things that we think we can compromise on or that it doesn't really matter. God's going to love me anyway. That's not the way we need to live. If we have given ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I want to follow you, please come into my heart. Come in today, come in to stay. You know that chorus that we used to sing and we still do sing. Then we need to make our lives available to what God has for us. And that means not falling back, not becoming impatient, which is not an easy thing to do. You know, God promises not to leave us. He, he says, you come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, don't be worried or anxious. Come to me. Pray. Give me your burdens and your concerns, and I will help you. Um, Proverbs 3, mm. Rod, 5 and 6, one of our favorite verses that hangs on our wall as a gift from uh, my mom and dad when we got married. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. You're not to lean on our own understanding, but acknowledge him. And he does. Sometimes it's not as quickly as we'd like. Sometimes it's not the answer that we'd like. But this is all how we learn and we grow in that relationship with the God of the universe who offers that to us. I think it's important to remember that we, we simply pray. And by praying, we talk to God and we say, Lord Jesus, Forgive me of my sin. It's my sin, and I can't do anything about it. Forgive me of my sin. Come and live in my heart today. Be the Lord of my life. I give you my life. Believe you died on the cross and rose again on the third day. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, Spotify is a great place where you can get your podcast. And actually, so is iHeartRadio. But wherever you get your podcast, let me encourage you to look for Bible Discovery TV. This program is available on your podcast, audio or video. We make it available, have for several years, and you don't have to miss one program. So check it out, our podcast every day. There it is, plus the weekend program and all the rest. Today, let's pray. Lord, we praise the name of Jesus Christ and we praise your name. Help us today. Amen.